Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. All right. Well, welcoming all the folks that are watching by live stream tonight. We're glad you're with us. And all of you, I'm really glad you're here tonight as we move on into chapter three of the book of First Thessalonians. So let's stop and ask the Lord to bless our time together in the word. Thank you, Father, that you have laid out a plan for our lives that isn't something we have to guess or wonder about. You, you want us to honor and glorify you in the things that we do and the things that we say and the way that we live. Help us to let your word speak to us to impact us in all of those areas so that we might in turn be not only a witness for you, but a witness of you. That, that you have loved us so much that you came and died in our place, but then you gave us your word. And without that, we would just, we would just wonder about what you were like. We'd look at creation and we say, he's magnificent, but what else do I know? You've given us your word so that we can know more about you as we study. So thank you for the time that we have to spend in your word this evening. Bless our minds, bless our hearts, so that we might be ready to hear and understand, myself included, what your word has to say. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're going to do a real quick recap. We've been in the book of 1 Thessalonians for two weeks. This is week three in this study. And so the author of the book is Paul. We think it was written around 50 AD, which makes it quite possibly the first of the New Testament books written. And it puts it within 20 years of our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. So this is, the we believe, the first letter that Paul wrote to a church that he founded, right? So we've looked in the book of Acts of, of his movements in the, his second missionary journey, going from Philippi, Acts chapter 16, where we saw he and Silas, get jailed and beaten up because they, Paul spoke to this gal that was basically a medium, drove the demon out of her, and all of her handlers got mad because they lost their source of income. That was Philippi. That's why they got stuck in jail. The earthquake happened. They were freed. The jailer and his family were saved and baptized even in the middle of what looks like a prison sentence, God was still working. And I think we miss that. We're gonna look at that a little bit tonight. When things don't look like what you want, when things look like you're in the middle of, oh man, this again? Or, man, what do I do? God is working. And he works and he surprises us with the way he works. I don't know if Paul expected an earthquake <laughs> to free him. I knew he 
believed that God would take care of a situation. But an earthquake, really? God works in really, really strange ways. So that was Philippi. Paul, Silas, and Timothy left Philippi. They went to Thessalonica, which is, which is where we are tonight. And if you look on your handout, this week I have a really, really colorful map. I really, really like this map. <laughs> you don't have to color it yourself. It's already colored. <laughs> I found this one. I thought, oh man, I got to share that. That's really good. So if, if you on here see um, about in the middle of the map at the north end of the Aegean Sea, you will find Philippi, Amphipolis, Apollonia, and then Thessalonica. Thessalonica sits on the major Roman road, the Ignatian Way. It's an east-west road that's an extension of the Appian Way, built very much like all Roman roads were. The, the thing that amazes me is we have engineering in downtown Evansville that puts bricks on sand and the street collapses and that, that lasted, what, three years? I don't know, something like that. The Romans built this <laughs> 2,000 years ago, and it's still standing. So I, I don't know. And I'm an engineer, and I'm pointing fingers at myself. But um, Roman engineering was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> anyway, so Thessalonica is sitting as a major seaport at the north end of the Aegean Sea, and it's on a major thoroughfare. So it was the second largest city of Greece, or Macedonia, as it was called. So it, it is a major, major city. And today it's got roughly a million inhabitants, and it's the second largest city in the, the country of Greece. So one thing I, I failed to mention before that I think is kind of interesting, the, the, the man that founded this city was one of Alexander's, Alexander the Great's generals. When Alexander the Great died, he had no offspring. And so his far-flung empire was given to four different generals. And I'm going to mess this up. Ptolemy, Seleucus, Cassander, and... Lysimachus, yes, I got it. Anyway, Cassander, one of uh, Alexander the Great's generals, founded this city. He was married to, I think, the half-sister of Alexander the Great. And so he named the city after her. Her name had the word that we know today with the swoosh. You know what I'm talking about? On shoes. Athletic gear, it's Nike, right? So in the middle of this name, Thessaloniki, or as it's known today, Thessaloniki, is the word Nike. We mispronounce it, right? But the meaning of that word is victory, or someone who brings news of victory. And that's, that's the, the origin of the name of this city. I think it's kind of fascinating where these names come from. So Philip of Macedon had a son, Alexander, Alexander the Great. And, and so the, the, the northern part of the Greek peninsula is called Macedonia after him. And the southern part is called Achaia. 
So we see Paul and Silas and Timothy here in Thessalonica before 50 AD because that's when it was written. Okay, so they were probably in Thessalonica around 48, 49 AD. And excuse me for using AD, I just, I can't do the before common era and common era or whatever that is. Anyway, AD. It's still the year of our Lord to me. <laughs> Anno Domini. Anyway, so they are there and the same thing that happened in Philippi happens in Thessalonica. The, the Jewish leaders and some of the Gentile leaders get upset with their ministry. They're beat up and driven out of town to a city not very far away. If you look on the map, you see the city of Berea. And this, this is kind of interesting to me that, that the people in Thessalonica were so upset by Paul, Silas, and Timothy that not only did they drive them out of Thessalonica, they went to Berea to drive them out of there. They weren't satisfied with driving them out of one city. They had to do it in two. Now that's, to me, that's kind of intense hatred of what Paul was ministering about. And yet he didn't quit. He had a direction from God that he followed through on. God had given him this ministry and he wasn't going to quit. So in spite of all that problems, and last week we looked at some of the accusations against Paul, right? That he was just in it for the money or the glory or that he was a dictator or that he was deranged. Oh, by the way, did you know Paul was in prison? Can we trust him? He's got a prison record. I mean, you can spin this thing any way you want to to make him look bad. And that's what the Jewish leaders and some of the Gentile leaders were doing to him. So then from Berea, he went to Athens. We'll pick that up in, in reading chapter 3 tonight. And then finally, he goes from there to Corinth. In Corinth is where he writes these two letters to the church at Thessalonica after, after he sends Timothy back to find out how is the church doing? Are they being faithful? Are they having problems? What do we need to know? So Paul used the technology available of that day. You know, for us, it's no big deal. At work, I'll get on the computer and I'll have a call with somebody in South America. I don't have to do any traveling at all. I just hit a couple buttons and bingo. I just wish they spoke English instead of Spanish, but it'll make the meeting a whole lot easier. Um, but Paul didn't have that, right? It was even before rotary dial phones and party lines. He had one technology that doesn't seem all that great today, but in that day it was huge. It was called parchment. They could write on prepared animal skins to be able to write letters. Earlier was papyrus made out of a plant. So they probably were using parchment for the letter. And that's why, you know, on a lot of early 
parchment documents, you will see that there's something underneath the top layer. Why? Because it's so valuable, right? So they would take a piece of parchment. When they were done, they'd scrape it off, and then they'd do something else with it. Scrape it off and do something else with it. And that's why archaeologists like to look at the layers under the top layer to see what was there before. So Paul was using the technology of his day. My encouragement is that we use the technology of our day for good. As opposed to something like maybe TikTok, which I don't know if there's anything good on TikTok, but I don't watch it much. <laughs> but we can use those media to our advantage to spread the gospel. And we need to do that. We're doing it with live stream. Thanks to COVID, we're live streaming. Again, God worked something out of, out of a really difficult situation and it opened a whole new ministry. So never pass off what you think is something bad just because you think it's bad and God can't work through it. He will and he can. Okay, so that, that's a little bit of background. I want to pick up a verse from chapter 1, and it's verse 3. And there, there are three things, and, and I guess, you know, I've, I've looked through the letter, and I said, I wonder what the, wonder what the key verse of 1 Thessalonians is. You know, with, with the Gospel of John, it's chapter 20, I think it's verse 35. For these things are written to you that you may know you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the Gospel of John in a nutshell, right there. I don't know that there is a verse that really reflects 1 Thessalonians, but I think this could be a good one. Chapter 1, verse 3. And there's three things in this verse that I, I just want to note. Paul talks about the Thessalonians' work of faith, labor of love. Did I get that right? And patience of hope. Is that how it goes? So, you know, you think ahead to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what does he talk about? These three endure, but faith, hope, and love, but love is the pre- Everybody has that at their wedding. Probably not thinking about the fact that what Paul's really talking about is spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14, and this is the bridge between those. Still a great chapter, but I think it gets misapplied in a lot of cases. Anyway, so faith looks back to a crucified Savior. So that's past tense. Love looks up to a crowned Savior, and that's present tense. And hope looks on to a coming Savior, and that's future we're going to talk about this a little bit more tonight but these three tenses of what I would call salvation are important oh that's not a good marker 
ah, and that's not right. Past, present, and future. And the $25 words here are justification, sanctification, and glorification. So I read it like this. I was saved. At a point in time, I said to Jesus, yes, I accept what you did on the cross as a penalty for my sin. I can never be righteous with a holy God. I have to accept that. That's justification. Sanctification is progressive. Throughout our entire lives, I am being saved. I am being saved. I am drawn to be more holy. Boy, does that sound, really? More holy? Yes. Holy means, the, the Greek word hagias means to be set apart from something to something. Set apart from sin and set apart to God. And that's the process that we go through here on this earth. Sanctification. And then finally, glorification. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, and saved from the very presence of sin. That's the three tenses of salvation. And for me, that's the easiest way to, to look at this. So I want to bring that up because this is something that Paul is working through as he talks to the believers in Thessalonica. He sends Timothy to go check up on them. Timothy comes back to Paul and gives a report. And based on that, then, Paul is able to write this letter to the church. The letters of both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Their purposes are really different. First Thessalonians looks at the coming of Jesus for the church in the air. Second Thessalonians looks more at the kingdom that he will set up on the earth after his second coming. So we're going to talk next week and the week after about what what Jesus has promised is going to come. And I promise I will not set a date. For sure, I will never ever do that. Some people have made that mistake and have paid for it. I will never ever do that because God forbids it. In fact, he said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. Huh, really? Son didn't know that, he was on earth. He didn't have full knowledge of when he would come back. That's hard to understand. But the book of Revelation, the Apocalypsis, is a revelation given to whom? Jesus Christ. That's what the introduction of the book says. Anyway, so, that, sorry, that's a sidetrack. The, the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about, in chapter 1, the salvation that the believers in Thessalonica had chapter two, their service. And then tonight we're going to look at in chapter three, their sanctification, their process of growing more and more to be like God. And I just had a thought and now it left me. <laughs> That's frustrating. 
it'll come back. I hope. <laughs> Somebody remind me later what I forgot, would you? <laughs> make, make a note and help me. Um, so what are the purposes of this letter of 1 Corinthians? Well, th these are four that I wrote down. It was the writer's joy, being Paul, at the steadfast, steadfastness, that's a hard word to say, steadfastness of the believers in Thessalonica. Number two, it was to refute false charges and slanderous insinuations being circulated about Paul and his ministry. Number three, it was a response to personal attacks. And then number four, we're not there yet, but we will be. Concern over what happened to loved ones that have passed away already. So, oh, I know what it was. Thank you for reminding me. How long was Paul in Thessalonica on that second missionary journey? Michael's got three fingers up, and it's not... <laughs> Scout... <laughs> Acts tells us in, in chapter 17 that Paul was there for three Sabbaths. It's brought out being Sabbaths because he was in synagogue, right? There, uh, Thessalonica was a big enough town that it has synagogue. Philippi did not. And so they met down by the river. And so the things that he's reminding the Thessalonians believers are things that he taught them in three sessions over, over three Sabbath periods. That's pretty short. So he was either talking really, really fast, and they were listening really, really fast, because he gave them some pretty deep stuff. Things that, you know, some believers today, after 20, 30 years of being a believer, you know, I, I wish I could give you the meat, but you're still stuck on the milk. That's what Jesus said, right? So the Thessalonian believers, and, and then, then Luke in Acts says, you know what? The Berean believers are even better than you guys in Thessalonica. Watch the Bereans because they test the scripture. If you don't like what I'm teaching, check it out and come talk to me. The word for me is the basis of everything that we've got to do. Don't pass that by and don't trust anything that I say. Well, maybe a few things, but <laughs> challenge me with the word if you have questions. Please, I want to do that. Okay, so we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight. And one thing to notice is that every chapter of this letter... Paul talks in some very explicit ways and some not so explicit about the coming of our Lord. Both chapters 1 and 2 end with a reference to that, and that leads us into the beginning on chapter 3. So, if you read the last verse of chapter 2... Well, let's, let's do 19, 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his 
coming for you, the Thessalonian believers, are our glory and our joy. Can you tell that Paul loved these believers? Three weeks there, maybe four, and he has an intense love for these people of the, the first real church that he founded in Europe at Thessalonica. So here we are in chapter three. Let's, let's do a little reading and then we can talk about this. So chapter three, verse one, therefore, and I always encourage you when there's a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. I know that's a plan words, I'm sorry. But what that says, therefore, means, and this is so Paul, when he, you know, sometimes he'll, he'll write sentences that go five and six verses. Go to Romans and you think, take a breath, Paul. <laughs> he just kind of runs on his arguments and just kind of hopes she can keep up with him. So when it says therefore or wherefore, I don't know what your translation says, but it says look back. So that's what we did. We've looked back at what Paul was talking to the believers. And what does he call them over and over? He uses the term either brethren, which is implying believers in Jesus Christ, or he uses the term beloved, and I like that term because it's really two words, be and loved. So when Jesus was arguing at, uh, at the end of uh, John chapter 8, uh, that, that was the chapter where, where the uh, woman caught in adultery was brought before and the, all of the uh, scribes and Pharisees, and she was going to be stoned. And Jesus says, okay, who's ever without sin cast first stone, and they all leave. It's still amazing to me they didn't bring the guy that she was with. They only brought her. Anyway, so, so at the end of that chapter, Jesus is talking to the scribes, the, 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 the people that write down the law, and the Pharisees, those who practice the law. Uh, and there was an exchange going on, and <laughs> they were accusing Jesus of being illegitimate. And at the end of that exchange, he says to them, you, you leaders of this Jewish movement called Phariseeism are children of Satan. Now that's pretty radical, right? Because they were opposing him at every single step along the way. That's pretty radical stuff. But he says that before Moses was... I am. <laughs> that literally means in, in, the, in the Greek it's ego I me, meaning I am or I will be. Jesus was saying, I was in existence before Moses. And they took real exception to that because they saw him as just the son of an illegitimate relationship that was why that whole exchange started anyway i am the the, the ego i mean if you just boil that down instead of i am or i will be the easiest way to say it is be be 
God can say, I was, I am, I always will be. Because God's timeless, right? So is Jesus. And so when you call someone be loved, see what that says? The creator of the universe loves this person. So when Paul uses the term be loved, it's an incredible statement of who they are. You are loved by the creator of the universe. Be loved. That, that makes me feel special. Should make all of you feel special as believers in Jesus Christ. Anyway, so therefore, I got one word done. <laughs> therefore, when we could endure it, and we, this is, this is Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy. When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. So Paul is saying, I'm going to stay in Athens. Remember, remember the sequence. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. Paul preaches at Mars Hill there to limited success. And so here in chapter 3, he's saying, in verse 2, so we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. I don't what, what do your translations say in that verse? Do, do they have other words other than strengthen and encourage? Anybody want to offer? Establish. Uh, establish? Okay. Anything else? Exhort? Okay. Anybody's have the word comfort? Okay. Establish and comfort. Is that that's what yours has? What do you have, Terry? What translation? Uh, King James. Okay, King James. I should have known that. <laughs> no, I don't mean about you. I mean, I should have known that was King James. Because, do, do you know the Holy Spirit sometimes is referred to by comforter? So, when Paul is saying to establish and comfort, he is using the same Greek word, which is the root for Comforter, sometimes it's translated advocate. The, the two words, para and kaleo, mean one called alongside to help. That's the description of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. That's his job or one of his jobs for us. And so in the same way, Paul is saying, we hope that you have been established and comforted with the Holy Spirit ministering to you. So establish and comfort. It really needs to be that order because establish means to build a foundation and then from that foundation, then you can develop that comfort. It's going to seem like a stretch, but to me, it, it makes sense. So I, I've run a lot of 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon races, okay? One of the pitfalls of long races, something that's off track, is that people can get lost if they're not well marked. And I've been on several different 10K runs where the course was not well marked. And I saw people going that direction, and I knew because I'd run the race before that it was that way when you got to that intersection. And they're going straight ahead. And, well, 
you know, good for you. My time's definitely going to be better than yours because you're going the long way, dude. If you're not on the right course, if you're not established, then you can't move on to being comforted. You cannot know the peace of God until you have made peace with God. Same idea. So here Paul says, so we sent Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker in the gospel, the good news of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be able, so, sorry, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Okay, have you ever heard a preacher say, come to Jesus and you will be wealthy and wise and you won't have any problems. All your bills will be paid. I don't know. Some of the prosperity preachers come real, really close to teaching a message like that and it disturbs me because it's non-biblical. Look right here, Timothy is saying, I'm sorry, Paul is saying through Timothy to the Thessalonians, expect what? Affliction. Expect it. In fact, you've been called to an appointment with affliction. Really? That's what I get when I accept Jesus? No, no, that can't, that can't be what it says. No, that's what it says. <laughs> it's what it says. And that's why earlier I talked about God making something good out of something bad. Think about Job. In the middle of all of that, with Job's horrible friends around him, and if you don't remember, go back and read the book of Job because it's a kind of a hoot watching Job react to all the lovely counsel that his friends give him. Chapter 3, Job goes to the point he never, never does what his wife suggested is to curse God and die, but he comes really close. He's pretty frustrated by what's happened to him because Satan said to God, hey, look at Job. Can I have him for a few days and I'll take care of his faith? Job didn't give up, did he? In the middle of afflictions, Job ended up his life with twice as many kids and twice as many cattle, same number of wives, but that's a different story. <laughs> Job was blessed more after the affliction than when he started. Look at Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus had to learn affliction. Really? Yeah, that's what it says. Hebrews chapter 2. Go read it. So when we become believers in Jesus Christ, and, and I've said this for year, years, that God draws straight with crooked lines. <laughs> we don't always get the the twists and turns in our lives. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a witness to that. There's a lot of things that have happened to me that I, and part of them I've done to myself out of my own stupidity. God still worked through it. God still blessed me. 
Why? I don't know, but he has. So Paul is saying to the Thessalonian believers, as, as he writes them this letter, you have an appointment with affliction. Now, that, that word really speaks out to me because God uses that word in the Old Testament not the same word it's a hebrew word but it's the same meaning so god says in leviticus chapter 23 when he institutes seven feasts passover unleavened bread first fruits uh shavuot or pentecost for us and then um yom kippur uh sukkot and the the feast of trumpets yom teruah those seven feasts he sets up for, for Israel and he calls them two things. He calls them, the Hebrew word is moed or moedim, plural, appointed times. And he says that for the Jewish people, these seven particular days are, he calls them holy convocations. Kodesh Mikra meaning they have an appointment with the creator of the universe on those particular days. God made an appointment on his calendar. I'm stretching this, but that's, that's kind of what I think about. You have a calendar and you record, you know, my, I have the dentist appointment tomorrow at 10 o'clock, so you don't forget. God doesn't forget, but he says, I got an appointment with all of you, my people, on these particular days. It's an appointment. It's on his calendar. And Paul is using the same kind of term to say to the believers, God has an appointment for you and that appointment is with affliction. Don't shy away from it. Walk straight into it and let God take care of it. That sounds really kind of rough, doesn't it? Instead of the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade, maybe... Maybe it's probably good that they did that instead of saying, do you want an appointment with affliction? Accept Jesus. It doesn't sell quite as well, but that's what Paul is saying. And they knew it, didn't they? Okay. Oh, by the way, what's tomorrow? Robin's got it. Tomorrow begins Hanukkah, the eight crazy nights as Adam Sandler called it in his lovely Hanukkah song. Um, Hanukkah starts tomorrow and is celebrated. What does Hanukkah celebrate? It celebrates the cleansing of the temple from when Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtered a, 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 a pig on the altar, erected an altar to Zeus and desecrated the temple. Three years later, the, the Maccabean revolt took the temple back over cleansed it and that's what you know the thing about the oil for for eight nights that's kind of side issue the fact that god took his temple back through the mac maccabees is the story of hanukkah to me anyway it starts tomorrow so if you've got hanukkah candles you can start lighting them one at a time we have hanukkah candles on our kitchen table Okay, so um, verse four. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. So Paul's saying, 
This is nothing new. I told you. Three weeks I was with you, and I told you. I told you. I told you it's coming. And it did. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. Satan will thwart every single work of God if he can. Right? He will do everything he can to prevent people from, from participating in these three things, justification, sanctification, glorification. Right? That is, that is part of his work as he sees it to thwart God's plan for mankind. So let's go on with chapter three and, and read. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and so by now Paul is in Corinth, he's left Athens, he's in Corinth, Timothy comes back with a report from the Thessalonian believers and has brought us a us good news. In this case, the Greek word is the same as what we use for gospel, euangelion, but it's got a little different meaning. Paul is saying here, it's not the good news of the gospel, it's the good news that you guys are doing good. Paul has had to write some really tough letters, but here he's saying, good job, guys. In the middle of affliction, you're doing it. So Timothy's come to us and brought good news of your faith and your love that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. That's why I put these three up here. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. That describes the Thessalonian believers and how they looked at Paul in spite of all the slanderous things that were said about him. So verse 7, for this reason, brethren, fellow believers, those of you that have accepted Jesus as Messiah, we're together. We're one family. We have one purpose, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That's brethren. In all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about through your faith. There's that word comfort again goes back to the comforter that we have in the Holy Spirit. For, uh, so if I wanted to pick another key verse, verse 8 here in chapter 3 would be a good candidate. For now, we really live, we really live, and the, there's, there's two Greek words for Life or to live, zoe, is spiritual life. And this word live here is a root of that. We really live, we really have spiritual life. If what? You stand firm in the Lord. So he's encouraging the believers here. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we, how often? Night and day. Keep praying most earnestly. Paul could not FaceTime. Paul could not Skype or do Zoom. He wanted to know how the believers were doing, so he sent Timothy. And he got the report back, and he wrote the letter. He would love to have had those technologies, but he didn't have that. What technology did Paul have? 
The one that we all have. Prayer. We don't have to go any further than our knees to be able to come before the throne and talk to God about the believers that are in our heart. And that's, that's what Paul is saying. So in verse 9, for, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Can you tell his love there? The, the, the Greek word agape, we always talk about meaning God's love, and it is. But it's to, to put the, the well-being of someone else ahead of your own. That's what the word agape means. To be totally given over to. So as night and day, we keep praying more earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. He knows they've got, he was there three weeks. He knew they had growing to do and he wanted to go back. Acts 20 tells us that he finally did get to go back, I believe on his farewell tour. So in verses 11 to 13, we have Paul's prayer here for the Thessalonian believers. So now may our God and Father himself and Jesus Christ our Lord direct our way to you. Notice what he does in that verse. He puts God the Father and Jesus Christ in the same verse in a conjunction because they're equal. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. God, the Holy Spirit is God, and that is totally beyond my understanding. I admit that right here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it. I can talk about it. Someday I'll understand it when I get to glory. <laughs> but right now I don't. I can only tell you, here's an idea about what this looks like. Anyway, so Paul, Paul is doing some theology in there in verse 11. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. The word Lord, the Greek word kurios, is the same word that the Old Testament, especially in Jewish translation, will not translate as Lord. It translates yod vav the tetragrammaton, the unpronounceable name of God, probably is the word Adonai. Jews don't want to say it, and they don't want to say it wrong. Here, Paul is using that term, kurios, to refer to that God that in the Old Testament, they would not pronounce that name. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. Increase and abound. I want to talk about that a little bit with the time that we got left, because this, this, is, this is kind of a side trip that I wanted to take us on. And this is on your, some of it is on your handout. And I just got to find my page here. What, there is something that is quite often in every believer's and unbeliever's life that will literally tear them apart. And it's sad, and it's kind of unnecessary, but here's what it is.
unforgiveness. This is something that's been on my heart a lot lately. Do you have somebody in your family, in your coworkers, somebody around you that's close that you have never gotten to terms with something that, that separated you? And I can tell you, I have family members like that. And I've tried, I've prayed about it, but sometimes it comes down to the place where that other person will not participate in the process of forgiveness. And so Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew um, chapter 18. And uh, being, being a mathematician, um, I, I like this verse. Matthew 18, 21, and 22, it says, and this is actually on our small group website page, <laughs> it says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Yeshua, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So do the math. 490. And some commentators say, well, that's just a big number. No, it's not. The Jewish people, when they were taken into captivity, had been disobeying God in terms of the, the Jubilee years and the sabbatical years for that long. They had ignored God's commands and said, no, we can do it better our way. And God said, okay, go ahead, but you're going to get judged for it. That's the root of the 490. It's not just a big number. It's very specific. But at the end of that chapter, in, in eight, at that little passage where it talks, of, Jesus tells a story of a, a guy that had a huge debt. It would have taken him his entire life to pay it off. And the, the guy that he was in debt to let him go. And then that same guy goes to a, a guy that, that owed him like a week's worth of wages. And he wouldn't let it go. He threw him in prison, right? And Jesus said, okay, in this story, what do you need to realize? In Matthew 18, 34 and 35, I, I want to read that because it's pretty significant. Jesus tells this story and I think we missed this. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him, which he couldn't do. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? I mean, those are really strong words. And that's why this one topic of unforgiveness, we, we could spend an entire class on. But the, at, the, at the bottom of this, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it gives some, some words that come up as a result of unforgiveness. And I'm going to write them down. Bitterness, wrath, anger, 
clamor, slander, and malice. So let me quickly describe those to you. From, from the Greek words that are used there, bitterness involves the use of the tongue, insulting speech, belittling someone, making light of someone's condition, either to his face or behind his back, bitterness. Wrath, an outburst of anger, a quick flare-up, loss of temper, immediate retaliation. The word anger, this is usually thought of as the slow burn, the silent treatment, contemplative revenge. Clamor, arguing, a lot of noise, never letting the issue die, always bringing the matter up to the person's attention, needing to have the last word. Slander, literally the word blasphemy, degrading the character of someone. And that's what the Jews and the Gentiles were doing to Paul when they said, oh, by the way, do you know he's got a police record? You can't trust him. And then malice, literally bad things. And in this context, therefore, bad feelings, wrong motives, and every other kind of selfish or bad relational behavior. So what do we do about it? Verse 32 in Ephesians chapter 4 gives you the positive side of this. And I listed these things on your handout. Things to realize, and we're going to have to wrap up with this. But in order, I bring this up because if... if the, the idea that Paul has here for the Thessalonian believers for their good is not fixed due to unforgiveness. Things are going to be broken for a long, long time. So here's the positive side of verse 32. Five points. God forgave us totally of his grace and not for any self-gain of his own Number two, God forgave us completely. God, the creator of the universe, the holy one, the just one, yes. Number three, God forgave us before we ask for forgiveness. Oh, man. Number four, God forgave us on the basis of Messiah's death. And then number five, God's forgiveness is continual. I found this statement about unforgiveness and I thought it was really good. Harboring unforgiveness or bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? Paul wants, he wants these believers to be the, the, the most that they can be and so as, as we wrap up chapter 3, I want to read the last verse and then we'll close. I know I said I was going to close, but I am. Verse 12 says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. You cannot do that with unforgiveness. For all men... Not just the believers, for all men, just as we also do for you. And here's how he wraps up the chapter. So that he may establish your hearts blameless or unblameable in holiness before our God and Father. And here's his reference again at the coming of our Lord Jesus 
with all the saints, with all the believers. Paul is building up. He's happy for what the Thessalonians have done. In that three short sessions over the three Sabbaths that he spent with them, they have grown incredibly. His heart was stirred. It was encouraged. Let me tell you, pray for your pastor. Really, I'm serious. Pray for your pastor. Every pastor needs the encouragement of everyone in the body of believers praying and supporting. Pray for your pastor. I can't encourage it. Paul was down in the dumps when he was in Corinth. And then Timothy came and said, guess what? Yes, it's going good. It's going good. And Paul's spirit was immediately lifted. Lift the spirit of your pastors. Pray for them. Encourage them. Send them a note. Send them a card. Send them a text. Actually, this would be really extreme. Call them on the phone. With no problems, just call them on the phone and say, I call to encourage you, Pastor. <laughs> it's a lot easier to send a text, but, you know, a phone call, not a bad thing to do. Paul would have loved a phone call to the Thessalonians, wouldn't he? So he does the next best thing. So let's wrap up. Thank you, God, that you've, you've shown us in your word just a little bit about how you want us to live. The, the way that we should encourage and build up and strengthen, the way that we should show to others the love that you have bestowed on us when you called us be loved. It's just incredible. It's hard to fathom that you would love me you love me just like that so help me to live in that same fashion and i thank you for your word that it builds us encourages strengthens and teaches us every single day pray this in your name amen Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 